Um, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be glib in, in this transition into our, our passage, but there actually is a a connection here. Um, this is the last time in Philippians that Paul talks about joy, and, and so we've been tracking with all of those occasions where, where Paul's expressing joy and how do we get in on the source of Paul's joy. But, but this last and final time in Philippians chapter 4, Paul shares about his great joy. Why? Because he gets a practical, tangible reminder of the Philippians' concern for him uh, their care and their compassion for him. And it's a reminder to us of God's care for us, his compassion toward us, how he meets our needs in real time. Uh, and so would you stand in honor of God's word? I'm going to read verses 10 through 13 in Philippians chapter, chapter 4. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for your word. Pray that you would bless its reading, its hearing, and its receiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so, um, you know, Paul's talking about contentment. He's talking about being in want. He's also talking about this provision that he's received from the Philippians. And now, you know, he, he's, he's, he's supplied. He's in good shape. Uh, and it's a reminder to us of, of the Philippians' concern for Paul and, and how that's been renewed. It's been revived, uh, as, as Paul says. And, um, and that gives us a picture and a window into God's renewal in, in us as as he makes us new creations, as he grows in us this fruit of contentment and how that shows us more of the, the blessing and the, the, the riches that we have in Jesus. Uh, ultimately, he's going to renew all of creation, not just us, but, but everything. And that's our, that's our hope at Advent, right? Um, so let's, let's talk about the, this uh, immediate uh, relationship between Paul and, and the Philippians uh, it's, uh, it's a picture of, of their care for him, as he says in verse 10, that it brought him great joy. He rejoiced in the Lord, just as he'd been telling them to do earlier in chapter 4, and we looked at that last week. He's modeling that. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, and, and, and he's doing it greatly. Well, why? why what, what gives him such great joy in the Lord? They've renewed their concern for him. Uh, they've had opportunity to show that they care about him. They had wanted to help Paul, but we don't know the circumstances, but there was some delay. Uh, they didn't have an opportunity to show it. And we've looked before at the distance between Rome and Philippi and you know, maybe how that factored in to maybe a delay in their ability to, to help him with his needs while he was in prison in Rome. 
Um, maybe there was you know, travel difficulties, weather delays, who, who knows? But what, what we do know is that, oh, now at last, you know, uh, the Philippians have, have been able to demonstrate their concern for Paul. Um, he, he reassures them. He wasn't anxious about their concern. Oh, no, have they forgotten about me? I don't know. Maybe they're fickle and they don't care anymore. No, he, he reassures them. I knew that you cared, but, you know, obviously circumstances hindered your ability to show it. So he, he shows them that he, he trusts them. He, he believes them, that they care for him. And now he's just saying, hey, thank you so much for this gift, which you actually hear more about later on in chapter four. If you have Philippians chapter four open, look at verse 14. And he says, hey, it was good of you to share in my troubles. In verse 18, I have received the full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And so finally, you know, their gift has come uh, to help Paul with his needs while in prison. And not just a gift, right? They didn't just top off his account. They didn't just Venmo him like, okay, here you go. Uh, they sent a person, not just a gift. They sent Epaphroditus to, to be an expression in the flesh of uh, their concern and their, their care for Paul. Um, you know, this, this hits close to home for Tabernacle and, and for one family in particular. Uh, many of you know Nancy Miller. She's sometimes up here on the worship team as a, as a vocalist. And, um, and her son, John Miller, who just turned 41, he had a birthday last week, uh, she sends him uh, a, a monthly allowance. Her 41-year-old son, she, she sends him a monthly allowance. What do you think about that? How many of you send your adult kids monthly allowances? I hope not. But, but there are some actually special circumstances pertaining to Nancy and her son, John, because uh, John's in jail. John's at the River North Maximum Security Correctional Center in Southwest Virginia. And he's been there for, uh, well, he's been in prison for four years now because he did something terrible. And he did something where, you know, he just, he went off the rails. And he's in prison for murder. Uh, and it, pains him, um, it, it, it shames him. I mean, he has to, to, to remember the grace of Jesus again and again and again because of what he did, but, but he actually points to that as God's means to get his attention and to grab him by the scruff of the neck, even, even in the, 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 the circumstance of prison, in order to save John fully. He was a member here. He is a member at Tabernacle. I, I visit with him monthly. If you can show that, that slide. I, this was last week, uh, my, my little screenshot of you know, my video visitation with, with John Miller, River North Correctional Center. And um, many of you don't know him, but that's, that's John and all of his bearded glory. Um, you know, John, John gets a, a, an allowance from his, his mom, and that's great. It helps him buy some food, helps him buy some some comfort, some coffee, and uh, some, some clothes, and so on. But you know what? If, even, if, even if Nancy never sent John an allowance, even if John was completely alone, didn't have anybody on the outside caring for him, you know what? He would still have his needs met. He would still be able to eat. He'd still be clothed. He wouldn't be as comfortable. He wouldn't have, you know, some perks. But his mom provides those things uh, because it's a kindness, and she's concerned about him. 
that wasn't the case for Paul, though. Uh, and for, for all of those in the Roman prison system, uh, listen to this bit of commentary uh, on this passage from uh, Table Talk. It's a publication, devotional publication from Ligonier Ministries. Uh, and in this passage, they were just talking about the Roman prison system, how the, the criminal justice system in ancient Rome is significantly different from our own. And one of the chief differences is that our modern criminal justice system feeds and clothes those who are in prison, while prisoners in the Roman Empire depended on the goodwill of family and friends to sustain them. Unless prisoners' loved ones sent them money or food, these ancient inmates did not eat. Now, I, I can't say you know, definitively whether those circumstances were, were a little bit different if you were a Roman citizen, as Paul was in the Roman prison system. Uh, I tend to think they probably got a little bit better treatment. But listen, we can imagine, right, how many light sentences ended up being death sentences because those who went to prison in, in Rome uh, didn't have anybody on the outside caring for them. Paul had the Philippians caring for him and providing for his needs, and, and that, was, that, was, that was remarkable, right? So um, Paul is experiencing trouble. He says that. It was kind of you in verse 14. It was good of you to share in my troubles. And that's the first lesson that we, we see here uh, about contentment as Paul is describing you know, this lesson that he's learned. Contentment doesn't just put blinders on to trouble. Contentment doesn't ignore need. It doesn't pretend like these things don't exist, hardship and pain and loss. Paul wasn't denying his situation. He had real hardship. He wasn't saying that his hunger was an illusion. Affliction and hardship are real. And, and when Jesus calls us as his followers, as his disciples, to take up our cross and follow him, he's not equating his cross to like one of those frilly um, little umbrellas, parasols, right, that the, the ladies would walk around with the gardens in. Like, no, a cross is real. Trouble is real. Hardship is real. But what contentment teaches us is that God's with us in those troubles. He's with us in the pain. And that at the end of the day, our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in his power to renew all things. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But, but our, our, our confidence is that joy is going to have the last laugh. That pain is not the, the final word on any subject. Trouble is not the last thing that we're going to hear on any subject. That, as John Piper reminds us in The Pleasures of God, that God's glory consists much in the fact that he is happy beyond our wildest imagination and that that is the appointed end for this universe when he will make everything happy and good again. Okay? So, Contentment doesn't ignore the pain. It just, it has a bigger picture than the pain. And it keeps our joyful, eternal God in mind and his appointed end for us and for all creation, which is, you know, kind of where, where we're going here. Um, so that's, that's Paul's uh, relationship and the dynamic between Paul and the Philippians. The Philippians are renewing their concern for him. Paul's saying, yeah, I, I know that you were concerned you just didn't have opportunity. And I've got such great joy in my heart as you have, have, have been able 
to express that, that concern to me. Thank you, right? So Philippians is basically his long thank you letter for his gift. Um, he talks about learning contentment through this process. In verse 11, not that I'm speaking of need, for I've, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Listen to what he says. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of facing abundance and need. Um, he says it's a secret. This is a hard lesson that, that few seem to learn. That's why it's sort of secretive. Not that, not that God's hiding you know, this, this answer from us so that we can't know it. It's just a few people seem to understand what contentment is. Because what ends up happening, money and, and, and power and comfort and security have this, this ability uh, to get us off the rails really quickly. And, it, and, it, and it's a double-edged sword because it, it works like this. Like if we, if we don't have the things that we want, um, if, if we don't have money, if we don't have our health, if we don't have our comfort, if we don't have answered prayers, we're praying because we need something. If God doesn't answer those prayers, we tend to wonder what? Don't you care? God, don't you care about my need? Don't you see that I'm suffering? Don't you, aren't you concerned about my, my situation, right? So when God answers our prayers, it's great. And we, we you know, he's, he loves me. He's caring about me. He's, he's, we're good. We were out last Sunday doing the prayer walk. Uh, and we had uh, several teams go out, and we were uh, at our neighbors here behind Lowe's, these, these duplexes off of Chatham. And I was uh, on a team with Len and Kathy Hassel, and we went by about 15 different homes, and, and it, was, it was a lot of fun, uh, as, as we sort of expected. I mean, people were so grateful to be prayed for. We're just knocking on their door, and they'd come to the door, and they'd scowl and say, who are you? You know, you know we're just from Tabernacle. We just want to pray for you. No, it, it wasn't bad. They would come, hey, what can we do for you? And we, hey, we just want to ask for God to bless you. And they'd go, really? Yeah. How can we pray for you? Oh, great. Well, pray for this and this and this. The very last person who, who we knocked on, her name was Anne. And we were, we were standing beside her door, and you can see the vinyl siding uh, beside her door, and it's got all these holes in it. Remember the hailstorm in the summer, right? Many of you have already replaced your roofs. Well, they, her vinyl siding looks like Swiss cheese. And she is just so like, I, I am so ready for the contractor to come and just fix my siding. The, the, the siding was in its box beside her, her front door. But the contractor was booked up and couldn't come and had been delaying and delaying and delaying. And she just couldn't get it done. She couldn't get that work done. She's just exasperated. Please pray that, that this can be done. And so, okay, we're just here to ask God to bless you. So that's what we prayed for. And I, I went in Monday, yeah, this past week, Monday morning, and I noticed that there were seven messages on Teresa's phone, um, you know, waiting for her. Isn't that what you want Monday morning when you show up for work? Seven messages. It was the same person. It was just calling relentlessly again and again and again. And you kind of go, uh-oh, something's up. This isn't going to be good. But it was. 
because it was Anne calling us that morning seven times, like, cannot wait for us to answer the phone so she can tell us, you're not going to believe this, but the contractor called me this morning and he's coming today. Thank you for praying, you know, for our, our signing get done. So great, when God answers prayers, gosh, he loves me and he cares for me and he's concerned about me, praise Jesus. What about when those prayers aren't answered? And what about when there's a delay? What if there's continued want, continued need, continued suffering, continued sickness? Does God care? That's why we need to learn how to be content so that we, we don't fall off the horse on that side of God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. We can fall off the horse on the other side when it comes to money and safety and security and comfort and provision because guess what? When you have all those things, We tend to not care about God. He doesn't care about me. I don't have what I need. I've got everything I need. I don't don't really care about him or or we don't think about him. It's a double-edged sword. We need to learn this secret, this rare jewel of Christian contentment. Contentment is rejoicing to have God above all things so that it doesn't matter. Your your, your circumstances are not going to impugn on your contentment. Whether you have what you need or whether you don't have what you need, you're convinced God cares about me and I care about him because he's my treasure. He's worth more to me than everything else I could want, even if I have it or even if I don't, right? Right? So this is, this is what we need to learn. I, and I love how Scott Sauls, he's a pastor in Nashville. I was listening to him uh, give a message on contentment on this passage. And he was saying, look at what Paul says. He's learned the secret of what? Of facing. Do you see that in verse 14? Look, look, look at verse 14. He says, I've learned the secret, not verse 14. What verse is it? Verse 12. I've learned the secret of facing what? Plenty. I'm facing plenty and hunger. I'm facing abundance and need. Like, wouldn't you expect Paul to say, "How I've learned the secret of facing um, need, and I've learned the secret of facing hunger." Like, that's what we tend to think is something I have to to kind of gird up my loins to face. I've, I've got to get my game face on to 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 deal with hunger and with need. But abundance. Why do you have to get your game face on for abundance? Well, because Scott Sauls was telling his, you know, the people who were listening to his message about what Tennessee Williams described as the catastrophe of success. The catastrophe of success that, as somebody else you know, pictured it, means climbing the ladder of success, rung 
after rung after rung of disciplining yourself, of saying, saying no to what everybody else is, is settling for, but, but you keep sacrificing and you keep working and you keep you know, kind of going the distance and you finally arrive. You're at the top of that ladder and you're looking down on all of your accomplishments only to discover that you lean the ladder against the wrong wall. You're living for the wrong things. And that's the catastrophe of success. That's why we have to learn to face abundance. Because what does it profit a person if they get to the top of the ladder but forfeit their soul? You have everything in this world and your soul be impoverished. So we've got to learn how to face not just need, but also abundance. Here's a necessary lesson for a Christian. This is Jeremiah Burroughs, pastor from a long time ago, and he, he wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Here's a necessary lesson for a Christian that Paul said he had learned in all estates therewith to be content. And I like how Burroughs puts this. Oh, do not content yourselves till you have learned this lesson of Christian contentment. Don't be content with your discipleship until you've learned how to be content. <laughs> because like, we don't just need contentment. We need what contentment gives us. The secret of contentment is not just, hey, good, good for me, I've learned how to be content. No, the secret of contentment is that we've got more of Jesus. And that puts everything in perspective, that he becomes my rare jewel, that he is my pearl of great price, that compared to him, you know, he has all, all the surpassing greatness and everything else is rubbish, right? That's what Paul was telling the Philippians early on. So covening is the opposite of contentment. And covening is what we do when the world becomes more valuable to us than Jesus does. And contentment keeps us riding on the rails of the gospel. Contentment keeps Jesus as our treasure. Contentment means that he's our pearl and that he is what makes everything else look like rubbish. And that's how we can face abundance without idolatry. That's how we can face abundance without coveting. That's how we can face abundance without losing our souls. We can do all this, right? Paul says, I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and You've heard that verse before. Even if you're brand new to the church and you, this is your first Sunday ever in a church, you go, yeah, I've heard that before. I can do all things, right? Because you've seen it. All the, all the athletes have it, you know, tattooed or whatever somewhere. And, and we, we kind of end up lifting that verse and, and applying it to whatever, you know, challenge we need. I can do all things. I can do all things. Oh, through Christ who strengthens me. That's a good qualifier too. But, but, but can we just be careful here that, that doing all things doesn't, become, doesn't mean all things? It doesn't mean all things. It, it doesn't mean that you can just triumphantly overcome every obstacle in your path. Sometimes God has failure in store for us to humble us for our good. And sometimes, you know, we can't have all things. Jesus isn't a genie that we rub, you know, a lamp to, to get every wish, you know, gratified. And it doesn't mean that you can control all things. You and I are not omnipotent. We're not God. We need God. We're not God. And so on. But but we can do all things 
And it maybe might be helpful for you to hear that verse in a different kind of, from a different angle. The NIV translates it a little bit differently. Verse 3 says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Oh, I can do all this contentment stuff. I can do that through him who gives me strength. I can persevere. I can suffer and, and still be hopeful. I, I, I can endure hunger. I can endure need with contentment instead of complaining. Why? Because Psalm 73 is true. Who am I in heaven but you, Lord? And earth really has nothing I desire compared to you, and I have you. And so yeah, even though there's wants, even though there's needs, even though there's a hole where there used to be a pile of money, I don't know, I still have Jesus, and that's enough. He's enough. I can do this. I can be content. I can even experience plenty and abundance. I can have money without loving money. And it takes a work of God's grace to teach us contentment. It takes a work of, of the Holy Spirit in, in, a, in a soul to help us see what is your true treasure. Like if, if it's on earth, you're going to be wrecked if you don't have it, and you're just going to not care about God if you do have it. And that's why it's a work of God's grace to teach us to trust him in that interval when there's something we need and we're praying for that provision and, and, and it doesn't seem like there's an answer. Like, good for Anne. She got her siding the next day. That's awesome. But what if she had to wait another week? Would she still trust that God's good to her? How do you know? How, how, can, you, how can you and I trust that God still cares about us? Like, how do we know that, that he's concerned about us? How do we know, even though we, we've got our, our things that we, we're suffering and that we're, we're needing and we're praying about those things, how do you know that he, that he cares? Where do you and I go to see evidence of his concern for us? Where can we be reassured that this isn't just a pipe dream? And that God's up in heaven, you know, with a daisy. Yeah, I love you, and I love you not. I love you, I love you not. Where can we see inscribed in an indelible ink once and for all? God is concerned about you. I hope in everybody's mind right now you're thinking of the cross. Paul, in another letter to the Romans, was helping them to, to trust. Trust this God who cares about them. The, one, the God of heaven, the, the, the living God, the eternally happy God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Listen to the gospel logic here. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It would be impossible for him not to care for our needs and be concerned for us. We may not understand how it works and what the provision is and what the timing is, but we know the cross. We know that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all as a, a sacrifice for sins, to make us his friends when we were his enemies, to make us his sons and daughters when we were orphans, to make us citizens in his kingdom when we were aliens and strangers. 
How will he not also along with him? If he gave up his son, why would we doubt that he would withhold anything else that we need? Can you trust him? Do you trust him? This is the renewal in us. This is how he's teaching us progressively, incrementally to grow in our contentment. You don't wake up instantly content. Paul had to learn this. We have to learn this. And it comes through believing the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that God sent his son, as we're celebrating in Advent, to love us and to give himself for us, to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, to make us right with God? And if he did that for you, he's not going to withhold anything else. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to care for you. But yeah, we do wait sometimes. And it's always the season of Advent, isn't it? We're always waiting for something. Because things aren't the way they're supposed to be yet. There's still sickness and sadness. There's still crying and mourning and death and phone calls that a mother should never, ever, ever get. And we're waiting. We're waiting for creation to be renewed. We're waiting for the the advent of, of God's, you know, we'll call it an opportunity, but it's not really an opportunity, but just kind of the parallel between Paul and the Philippians. They didn't have an opportunity to show their concern for Paul, but they were concerned. And, and when the timing was right, the gift came. God's not constrained by circumstances. He's not wringing his hands going, I don't know what to do. I want to care for him, but the weather, you know, or the travel or whatever the hinder, that hindered the Philippians there's a wisdom to his timer. We don't know it, we don't understand it, but he's coming. He's coming. And he's going to make the world brand new and he's going to rid the world of pain and sorrow and sickness and sadness. And it's going to be wonderful. And Paul, I mean, I mean, Jesus reflected on this and about the timing. And he said, about that day or hour, nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Shocker. But only the Father. He said, two people are going to be in a field, and one's going to be taken, and the other left. And two people are going to be grinding at the handmill, and one's going to be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Watch. Watch and pray. Learn the secret of contentment, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And then Peter's reflecting on how the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's going to come, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's, he's patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish everyone to come to repentance. That's part of the reason for the delay is the gospels that work throughout the world to bring people to Jesus. And the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything on it will be laid bare. And in the meantime, do we believe that God is concerned about us. Do you believe that? And is the cross sufficient evidence for us? And lastly, when Jesus comes, there's going to be joy. You know, the Philippians, Paul was experiencing great joy receiving the gift. Can you imagine the Philippians and the joy they had to get this letter and hear its effect on Paul? They were so happy. Jesus is happy as he anticipates this opportunity, this timing when he's going to come and renew the world and make even the trees clap their hands and sing for joy. That day's coming 
the angels told the shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. And Revelation gives us a picture of this renewed world where everyone's going to rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Can we wait? Can we be content in the meantime? Jesus will give us the strength, the contentment to await his provision when he makes all things new. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy that you promise your people. Indeed, the joy that you promise the world, the joy that you promise to anyone and everyone who comes to you for contentment, who comes to you as the pearl of great price, who comes to you looking at everything else as rubbish. Lord, who have we in heaven but you and earth has nothing that we desire beside you. So please realign our hearts, recalibrate our souls so that you become more and more our, our great treasure, so that more and more we can face not only need and hunger, but so that we can face abundance and plenty. Thank you for the answered prayers that you have given to us. Thank you for this past week and reflecting on all of the provision that you have given to us, and yet we still bring our needs to you. There are so many. We thank you that you, you are concerned. You gave us Jesus as evidence of that concern, as a way to forgive our sins so that we can even call on you as Father. And we look forward to when you will come to make us and the world new again. In Jesus' name we pray.